0: Chapter Four, very familiar passages. We're still in our series, Greatest Hits. First John Chapter Four, beginning in verse seven. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. First John Chapter Four, beginning in verse seven. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence On the day of judgment in this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God but also love their brother and sister. Very familiar passage to us today. Richard Bach said this. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and always will be yours. If it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. Then someone added these extra lines, continue in this same line of thinking. If it just sits in your living room or messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your telephone, takes your money and never behaves as if you actually set it free in the first place. You either married it or gave birth to it. Love. This is what our world needs, but the world is so often mixed up when it comes to what love is. So let's see what 1 John has to say about love. For in this whole chapter 4 of 1 John, John uses the word love 28 times. And so we, as we are about to enter the Christmas season, I think we all need to be reminded today... About love. We need to be reminded as we shop for gifts. And we need to be reminded about love as we drive. When that traffic gets heavier and heavier. Or when life throws us something we're not expecting during the Christmas season. We need to be reminded of what love is. In Romans chapter 12 it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. In Leviticus 19, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And later in that same chapter, it says the foreigner residing among you. You must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. It's easy to love a brother and sister in Christ, isn't it? It's easier to love a faithful brother and a faithful sister than that unfaithful brother and sister. But we need to remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. We also see in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul writes about love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It should be obvious that both husbands and wife should love one another. I found some love notes this week from husbands to wives and wives to husbands. Here's one of them. Look at the computer keyboard. You and I are placed side by side. That's how the alphabet should be arranged, because my love will never cease to exist as long as it's you and me. Another one I found and said, the more I spend time with you, the more I fall in love with you every day. You have a very gentle and beautiful heart that I promise to take care of all my life. You are the missing piece in the puzzle and the jigsaw of my life. You make my life complete in every way. Do you ever write one of those things like that? You can admit it, men, if you ever did, or women. But where does this kind of love come from? I think we all know where it comes from, that we can agree that it comes from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is the author of true love. And here in chapter 4, we can see three C's of love. The first C we can see here is the command of love in verse seven. It says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I've heard it more than once at different places that you're my children. You're my child. And you will do this and you will do this whether you want to or not. Or maybe you even said those words to your children. You're going to go to school if you like it or not. You're going to clean your plate or else you're going to go to bed hungry. I remember being told that many times. Coercion generally doesn't work well with most people, but when it comes to the command that God has for us to love one another, we sure have a better motivation to obey him, don't we? Because we know what's on the other side. And shortly after, Jesus washes the disciples' feet in the upper room. Jesus says these words to his disciples. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When Benjamin Franklin wanted to get the people of Philadelphia interested in one of his latest ideas, street lighting, Franklin didn't try and persuade them by talking about it to them. Instead, he hung a beautiful lantern on a long bracket in front of his front door. And he kept the glass brightly polished and carefully hung it as it, the, as dust began to approach. People wandering about that dark street saw Franklin's light a long way off and came under the influence of the friendly glow as they walked by. To each one that walked by, the bright light seemed to say, Come along here, my friend. Here is a safe place to walk. See that cobblestone sticking out? Be careful. Don't stumble over it. My light will be here to help you again tomorrow if you should come this way. It wasn't long before Franklin's neighbor began placing lights on brackets by their homes. And soon the entire city realized the value of street lighting and took up this matter with interest and enthusiasm. Example is always a strong motivation for doing the right thing. And Jesus always is our best example of all, isn't he? Pew Research did a study recently that disclosed that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of their children remain faithful to Jesus and the church. If only dad attended church, 55% of the children remain faithful to Jesus and the church. If only mom attended the church, 15% of children remain faithful to Jesus. And the church. But if neither parent attended regularly, only 6% of children remain faithful to Jesus and the church. And I think these statistics speak for itself. The example of parents is more important than all the efforts that the church can do or a Sunday school class can do by themselves. Most of us this morning are what we are today because of our parents example. So if we as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles are loving, then there's a good possibility that our children and their children and their children and so on and so on and so on, they will be loving as well. But if we're to say to our child or our grandchildren or our niece or our nephews, do as I say, not as I do. We're not going to get the same reaction out of them. If we would, if we'd say, come along with me. But when Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. When we begin to take notice and we begin to start loving one another better and more. But we can never love exactly like Jesus did. But when we demonstrate his love to others. We are being more and more Christ-like than if we weren't at all. The command is love one another. The second C that we see here is he's the creator of love. Verse eight says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now this very, this is a very challenging verse of scripture here of verse eight, because how can anyone fully describe God who is love? But John here is very clear in what he says. He says, if you do not love, then you don't know God because God is love. And even when we say that God is a creator of love, that is very poor way of saying it, because God is more than just the creator of love. I found some examples again of children seeing the world to the eyes of a child. One child said, dear God. I would like to know why all the things you say are in red when I read my Bible. Dear God, when Reverend Billy Graham was Reverend Billy Graham, a friend of yours, or do you just know him through work? Dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, I'm really going to fix my brother. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a snake. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the world. There are only four people in my family and I can never do it. But these are examples of a child's view of God. What is your view today? What is your picture of God? What is he like in your heart and mind? Is he a mean judge? A mean man who sits far away? Is he a compromising man? Is he a loving father? Earl F. Palmer wrote these interesting words about God. He says, among the first glimpses we get of God is that he is a seeker. For we see in Genesis 3, God seeks Adam out when he calls out, Adam, where are you? Again, Palmer writes, you can never be a Christian if you read the Bible as though God were a policeman. You need to read it as though God were a broken hearted father looking for a lost child. In Luke 15, we see these words, very familiar. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to feed to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. How can we not see the love of God here in this parable? Brother and sister were playing in the backyard and the sister said to her brother, you must be good or daddy won't love you. And the young boy was horrified at what he had just been told by his sister. Unbeknownst to his sister, daddy had heard the whole conversation that had just took place. The dad called the boy over to him and said, son, what your sister said, that isn't true. But the boy asked his dad, you won't love us if we're bad, will you? Yes, I will love you, whether you're good or bad. But there's a difference in my love. When you are good, I will love you with a love that makes me glad. And when you are, are not good, I will love You with a love that hurts me. What a picture of God, as we see in that parable of Luke 15. So how do we really describe in words a God who is love? Adrian Rogers once said, God is not the essence of love. He is not the spirit of love. He is not the extreme example of love. He is not the personification of love. He is not the epitome of love. He is love. And we will know his love when we come into his presence. And third, see, we find is the crown of love. This is the best one for in verse nine and ten, it says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice For our sins. Some years ago, a German scientist counted the hairs on different human heads. He found that very they vary in number depending on the color. He concluded that there is more hair on a head of someone with black hair than someone with red hair. There is more hair on a person's head that has brown hair than someone with black hair. And there is more blonde hair on a person than someone with brown hair. A person who has black hair has about one hundred and ten thousand hairs on their head. When someone who is a blonde has around one hundred and forty thousand hairs on their head. He also concluded that the average person with a thick head of hair will lose up to a hundred hairs a day. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10 are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. There was nothing good in us that would have caused God to choose us as his children. And yet he chose us. But Romans 3 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We have all turned away from God at one time or another in our lives. But because of who he is, he loves us so much that he waits with open arms. Theologian F.F. Bruce writes on the topic of God's love. He says, never be afraid of God unless you are sinning against him. Always believe that behind what may seem difficult and mysterious, there is God's heart. That is, as true and tender and loving. God's love is the greatest, the supreme love. And then Paul tells us in Romans five. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The crown of life is the fact that Christ paid for our sins on the cross. And there is no greater love than that. Verse 11 and 12 says, dear friends. Since God so loved us, we all also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Since God loves. So should we love. A man was about to enter the hospital for procedure and he saw two doctors outside searching through the flower beds. And he went up to him and said, excuse me. Have you lost something? They said, no, we're looking for the right size stone for a patient's heart. Maybe that's the problem today. Maybe that's the issue today. We don't have to ask what the world needs now. We just we have a heart problem, maybe. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 to the Pharisees? It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brought a vipers. How can you who are evil say anything for for anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as we get ready for this Christmas season, I think we're all in desperate need of a heart transplant. A heart transplant, because when we have that heart transplant, the love of God comes in. And we need to make sure this morning, as we get into the Christmas season and the busyness of it. That our heart is filled with love. Love for God, love for others. So this morning, we need to make sure that we have a heart of Jesus. And as we receive the heart of Jesus, we do it by faith. And as we study his word, we surrender ourselves to him and we submit to him whatever he wants for us. We will do. We need to do this individually. We need to do this as a church body. We must have the heart. Of Jesus. And scripture says that he will give it to us when we ask him for it. So this morning. What's your heart look like? Is it full? Is it empty? Jesus wants to fill it with. Love. Let's pray, Father. Father.